Hello again, and welcome to The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm, a weekly podcast that brings biblical teaching to everyday people in ways we can understand and then put into practice. I'm Gwen DeSelm, and I have the privilege of being the host of this podcast. Our teacher is Dave DeSelm. Dave spent over 40 years in pastoral ministry, planting, growing, and leading a church. Currently, he is the executive director of Dave DeSelm Ministries, offering resources for everyday pastors and the people they lead, such as a weekly blog, devotionals, coaching, speaking, and more. You can find out more about us at davedeselmministries.org. The episode you're about to hear was originally recorded on January 20th, 2008, the day before the Martin Luther King Jr. National Holiday. Dave's message that day followed a creative package that referenced the civil rights champion and held up our church's cherished value of diverse community. So let's join Dave now as he steps into that moment and begins this message on making wise decisions about our time. Well, friends, but I ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 5 as we continue on with a study that has to do with decision-making. You know, when I think about Dr. King's life and the impact it had, what's really remarkable is that this man only lived to be 39 years old. Did you know that? 39 years. But oh, how he made the most of them. And you really have to wonder if the intentionality with which he lived those 39 years, the passion with which he lived those years, wasn't due to the fact that he had a premonition that he might not live long. In the last speech that he gave on April 3rd, 1968, he seemed to allude to that premonition. I don't know what will happen now, he said. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will and he's allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over. I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I am not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Less than 24 hours later, the shots rang out on the balcony of the Lorraine Hotel in Memphis, Tennessee. And he was gone. His legacy lives on 40 years after the fact. Because here was one who made the most of the time he was given. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Making the most of the time that you're given. As you see here in Ephesians chapter 5. Do you have it before you? Ephesians chapter 5 verses 15 There's this call to wisdom that God gives us whereby we won't live lives of regret. I don't want you to live a life of regret, he says. And so he gives us all sorts of insight throughout the Bible. But really, much of the latter half of Ephesians is how not to live a life of regret. You're a different person, he said to us in the first three chapters. So live a different way. You're not what what you once were. So live what you now are. And in chapter 5, verse 15, he writes these words. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. I got to ask you, friend, 
How much might your life change in the years you have left? How many regrets might you avoid in the days you have left? How much benefit might be realized in the weeks you have left if you would live your life in light of Ephesians 5.15? If you would run your decisions through a simple little filter, is it wise? Is it wise? Not, is it legal? Is it available? Is it affordable? Or is it doable? But is this wise? This has been the field we've been talking about through the past weeks. And then Paul goes right ahead in the text and shows us in verse 16 where one of the key places is we need to apply this. He writes, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. That's a very interesting word there. Do you see the phrase before you on the screen, making the most of every opportunity? In the Greek text, the language in which the New Testament was written, literally it is rendered redeeming the time. It's an accountant's term. Paul is basically saying this, get the most out of the time that you can, because once it's gone, it's gone. Make the most of every opportunity. Buy back for the time you spent something that you're going to be pleased with. Make the most of your time. You see, friends, the apostle knew this. When it comes to living wisely, there's no, import, there's no more important arena than the matter of your time. See, your time equals your life. You can run out of money and still have some life left. You can run out of friends and still have some life left. But once you've run out of time, you have no more life left. Making the most of your time. Time is a limited commodity. As such, it is the most valuable one you possess. Job writes of this. He writes, man's days are determined. You, God, he says, have decreed the number of his months and have set limits he cannot exceed. Job 14.5. Look carefully at that. Your days are determined. God already knows how much you have left. It's already been decided. Is it any wonder that Moses prayed this? Teach us to number our days aright, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Psalm 90, verse 12. Boy, if that's true. If I only have so many days left, oh God, teach me to number them well. Because when they're gone, they're gone. Simply by recognizing that your days are numbered, you're moving toward wisdom. You've taken a giant step toward becoming a a wise man or a wise woman, because, oh, how time flies. Have you discovered that? I think it goes faster the older you get. Have you discovered that? It's crazy. When I was a kid, it seemed like Christmas would never get here. Now it's always getting here. But there's something more difficult that's always getting here, and that's my birthday is always getting here. Have you discovered that? I think the years are shorter in between my birthdays. I'm going to be 57 on Easter Day. We're going to celebrate Jesus and me. No, we're going to celebrate Jesus. I will be 50. I thought, 57? I've become my father. 57, how can that be? 57, where did the time go? Answer, away. It always does. Time goes away. Can't be saved. It can't be stored. It can only be spent. Now, in the language of the New Testament, there are two words for time. Here's the first one. The first is the word chronos. 
It's a space of time, whether long or short. Let me give you a couple references you can write somewhere in your notes where chronos is used in the New Testament. Uh, in Matthew 2, 7, where Herod asks the wise men the exact time the star had appeared, that's where chronos. When, when was the time the star appeared? The Greek word there is chronos. Or in eight, Luke 8, 27, we read that a man had been demonized for a long time. Where there's chronos, okay? You got that, chronos? It's just a, a, a space of measurable space of time. Here's the other word that is used in the New Testament, the word kairos. This is a fixed or definite period, a season. Specifically, a unique season that will never come again. It was used in Galatians 4.4 where Paul wrote, When the time had fully come, God sent his son. What's he saying? Things were perfect economically, militarily, linguistically, socially. Everything was perfect. It was a Kairos moment when Jesus was born. It was perfect time. Time would never come again. Bang, right then. Or in Romans 5, 6, at just the right time, Christ died for us. Just the right time. Man, when we needed it. He died for. Same word, kairos there, kairos there. A time that will never come again. A unique time, a special opportunity. So you have these throughout your life, don't you? For one who loved to play sports, I've, my kairos moment athletically has come and gone. Much to my lament. My head still says, says when I play volleyball, sometimes on Sunday afternoons here at the church or on the beach, my head still says, you can do this. And my body says, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> Do you know this? You still think you can do it. You still think you've had it, but my Kairos moment has come and gone. There's nothing that gripes me more than when I read about these NFL players who say, it's that time to retire. I'm 28. It's like, <laughs> yeah, right. I've lost my Kairos moment athletically. Financial planners say there's a Kairos moment for your retirement, isn't there? If you don't start investing at this Kairos moment of your, uh, when you're gaining resources, you can't wait till retirement to save for retirement. The Kairos went financially. But there is no more important Kairos moment. And it makes the issues of sports and, and, and money pale in comparison to the issue of people. People. There are strategic moments when people in your world can be touched for good and for God. All you have is this moment. And when it's gone... It's gone. The reason, for example, that we want to invest in the children of South Fort Wayne, why we gave so much money, and why we're going to try to be tutoring and mentoring and invest in these kids, is because the fact of the matter is, if you look at Paul's words here where he says the days are evil, we have a brief season to try to capture these kids of South Fort Wayne before the evil of this world snatches them away. It is not enough to lament the drug dealers, and the gangs, and the prostitutes, if we don't invest in the children before they get there. George Barna, who's done some research, and this really struck me, he wrote this, whether you're concerned about his or her physical, moral, intellectual, emotional, or economic development, get this, friends, it is during this period, ages 5 to 12, that lifelong habits, values, beliefs, and attitudes are formed. We've got those years to capture these kids of South Fort Wayne if we want to change the trajectory of generational poverty and crime. It's all you got. So you've got to ask yourself, is that worth investing your time in? 
One of the reasons why we put so much horsepower in the children's ministry here at the church is because we understand full well that there is this kairos moment to reach a person for Jesus Christ. Did you know this? According to George Barna, the probability of a person embracing Christ as their Savior between ages 5 and 12 is 32%. The probability of a person embracing Christ as Savior after age 19 is 6%. Where should we invest our time Now, that's not to say that people can't come to Christ later in life. I'm so glad that I was one who, by God's grace, broke into that 6%. And many of you are as well. Because there come Kairos moments in our life after the fact, don't there? I mean, there are times when a crisis hits, a tragedy comes, our hearts are soft, and there's this one brief window of time in which God may by His Spirit touch you because you're open. Please, please, please. But what happens shortly after that window? What? What? How many of you, real quick, how many of you came to Christ in a Kairos moment of pain or crisis when your heart was soft and God broke in? How many of you? Yeah, a bunch of us. There was this moment of time. Some of you are in that moment right now. And before you go, before you leave today, know this, the softness of your heart in light of the deepness of your distress is a unique window right now. Don't lose it, because your heart will harden up again all too quickly. All too quickly. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Strategic seasons that once lost are gone. The open door is shut. The softened heart becomes hard. The magical moment is missed. I was sadly reminded of this two days ago. And I'm still working through this. There was an elderly woman, a friend of my mother's, who came to fellowship, sat right over here in this service. She was only here for a few months pretty much unchurched her whole life, but came to fellowship for a few months before hospital, hospitalized. She was not able to come here anymore. I didn't know B very well at all, but she was a friend of my mom's, and so when she was in the hospital in the late summer, I went to see her once, and I prayed for her once, and we didn't get very far with that. We didn't even know each other. I said I'd be back. She never got out of the hospital, and as August turned to September, and September to October, and on and on and on, it looked now like she was going to be in the hospital or a nursing home till the very end. And a couple times, I just sensed this real prompt of the Spirit, go see B. Go see B. I didn't do it. I had any number of excuses. She wasn't really a part of FMC. I was busy. I was tired. I had an awful lot on my plate. And then I got the call last week that B died. And the family wanted me to do the funeral. And I did it on Friday. And I wasn't able to say that I knew B well. And I wasn't able to say that I 
could tell the story of her faith. And I wasn't able to share that I knew she was in heaven because I didn't know. Because I had lost my Kairos moment. And it was too late. You only have a brief season. And when it's gone, it's gone. You're listening to The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. Dave will continue his message in just a moment. But if you're enjoying this podcast and you haven't done so yet, make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Then help others find us by leaving a review, giving us a five-star rating, and sharing this podcast with your friends and family. If you'd like to support us in this ministry, go to davedeselmministries.org and click on the Donate button. Dave DeSelm Ministries is here to resource everyday pastors as they seek to equip everyday people to become everyday disciples. Among the resources we offer are coaching groups. Coaching groups bring the coaching relationship into the small group setting. It's a personal space where conversation can take place, relationships can be formed, and hope and help discovered. DDM coaching groups are for lead pastors, associate pastors, and other ministry leaders who want to grow in their capacity as disciples and as disciple-makers. It's a safe place to discuss some of the unique challenges you're facing as leaders with someone who is a bit farther down the road of ministry. DDM also offers personal coaching, allowing pastors and leaders to receive individualized, practical guidance from Dave on the issues they're dealing with. If you'd like to learn more about coaching, go to davedeselministries.org or email us at info at davedeselministries.org. Before we return to Dave, let me just say once again, thanks to Pastor Andy Stanley, whose book, The Best Question Ever, served as a major resource for this series. Now, here's Dave. Let me give you a few reminders that may help us to redeem the time well. There is, first of all, a cumulative value to investing small amounts of time over a large period. It's cumulative. That is to say, it adds up. You know examples of this. Exercise, for example, very seldom shows immediate results. That's why most people don't stick with it. But over time, if you exercise, you'll feel better, you'll look better, your clothes will fit better. The same is true if you're trying to perfect a musical instrument or a golf swing. Very seldom do you have an immediate sense of gratification. In fact, most of the time, the only thing you get is frustration. But over time, the investment pays off. It's even more important in less obvious but far more crucial areas. Regular dinner with your family through the week. A date night with your mate. One-on-one time with your kids. Church attendance. Time alone with God. Commitment to a small group. There's seldom any immediate gain, but over time... Things change. The investment pays off. Believe me, as one who has practiced a few of these, I've seen the upside, the dividends of the investment made. I've also seen 
with regret when I didn't invest over time that it cost me. Second, there's rarely any immediate consequences for neglecting single installments. Now, we need to understand this in here. Let's go back to the issue of exercise. I'm amazing how often I can talk myself out of working out. I've always got a reason not to go hurt myself. I don't want to. I'm busy. I'm tired. I'm sore. I'm something. So missing, does missing one workout, well, I have problems with my heart. No. But in missing one, what's it easy to do? Miss another one. If you're not home with your family for one dinner a week, is that going to kill your family? No, but what is that set up for? If you miss one date with your mate, if you miss one kid's ball game one time, if you pick up the newspaper instead of the Bible, if you decide to sleep in rather than come to church, will that kill you? No, but it sets a precedent that can become a pattern. And over time, it will kill you. Or what you hope for. What we hope for. That lends itself to a third principle quickly that I want to give you. Eventually, the investments made or not made add up and pay dividends of one sort or another. There's a time, there's a day when you will be glad or sad for your commitment of time over time. Or your lack of commitment. You'll either smile and say, I am so glad I invested. Or you'll shake your head and say, what kind of fool was I? The day will come. The day will come when you will realize the investment in your spiritual life was so important. Because when the, bo- Listen, when the bottom falls out, you don't have time then to pick up your Bible. All you have time to do is to reach back in your spiritual backpack and hold on to some truths that you knew. Because when you hurt that bad spiritually, all you can do is go back and lean back on the times that you already were in God's Word. Does that make sense? When a crisis comes to your marriage, you can't hurriedly make things better. When the crisis comes to your marriage, when a tough time comes, hopefully the investments of time that the two of you had together are going to help you weather that crisis. When you are looking for, longing for a point of access to your kids when they're making a very difficult decision, or when you just wish you so much could give them counsel when they're older in their lives, if you did not invest in them, spend time with them, Share in their world when they were young. Don't expect to butt in when they're teenagers and that they'll listen to you. The investment or the lack thereof over time will play out. Fourth, in the critical areas of life, you cannot make up for lost time. I wish this wasn't true, but I thought I'd just give you the whole nine yards. You can't make up for lost time. Back in my undergraduate days of college, my mother says so I have to say this very carefully, but she thinks she knows. I live by a very simple rule. I never let studying interfere with college. <laughs> Not very smart, but I wasn't too smart back then. So I play volleyball by day and play cards by night. And then when finals rolled around, I pulled the wonderful thing called the what? 
all-nighter. Anybody else famous for all-nighter? Oh, yeah. And what you think, okay, I can do this. And I've, you know, missed classes, unread assignments, whatever, and you just brew the coffee, and you think, okay, let's put the hammer down for 20 hours, baby, and we're going to hope we can get through this. For some way, in some way, I graduated from college. I have no idea how many times, but here's the deal. In the important matters of life, there are no all-nighters. In the important matters of life, you can't pull an all-nighter. You can't make up for a year of no exercise and poor eating habits by one marathon day in the gym. You can't make up for months of ignoring your children by a wonderful trip to Cedar Point. You can't make up for carelessness with your mates by one blow-the-budget dinner. You cannot make up for neglected spiritual intimacy with God with a marathon quiet time. You can't pull an all-nighter. No amount of effort will make up for the loss of time that was spent. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity. Redeeming the time. Determining that what you just gave that portion of your life to will pay the dividends that you'll be glad for. Because the days are evil ones. What do you need to, in light of the few days you have left, what do you need to start doing? On the back of your notes is a whole array of areas. What do you need to start doing? What if you don't start doing it now? You won't be able to enjoy then. What do you need to stop doing? Listen. Some of the things you need to stop doing are not bad things. They're just not the best things. What do you need to stop doing? The array of opportunities that you see in the back there, from physically to relationally, professionally, spiritually, uh, eternally. Think about that one. If you really want to hear a well done from Christ one day, I do. Don't you? Well, that's not going to come out of nowhere. What must I start doing? How must I start living in order for that to happen? I'd encourage you this week, take a look at those. And basically, your assignment is this. What is one thing either I could start doing or I should stop doing between this week and and next. And if we take advantage of that, I think we'll become a bit wiser, don't you? Thank you so much for joining us for the Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. If you'd like to let Pastor Dave know how this message has blessed you, send him an email at dave at davedeselmministries.org. Then join us next time as we look to God's Word for help and hope as we follow Jesus every day.